Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 142. This week, we talk with Thomas Claudius Huber about using UWP to recreate the Visual Studio shell. We reveal the gender of the Windows Insider Ninja Cat. Password rules are BS. And the Azure window collapses into the sea. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. This week we have Thomas Claudius Huber, software developer, book author, Pluralsight author, and Microsoft MVP for Windows development. He lives in Germany's Black Forest and loves building user interfaces with XAML. How's it going, Thomas? Hey, I'm fine. Thanks a lot for the invitation, Jason. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for coming on. So, uh, Carl, what do we have for the comment of the week? We got this comment off of the Channel 9 comments. So just so you know, you can watch our video there and then comment right there in line. So we got this from Deepika. And he said, keep sharing your information regularly for my future reference. This content creates a new and uh, a new hope, a, a new hope <laughs> and inspiration within me. It's just cut over word. It's, it's poetic. <laughs> it is. I just love that. I mean, it's it's kind of like a generic comment, but it's just sort of random. And, and uh, that was on uh, which episode was that? That was the one with uh, David Cattu. Uh, yeah. And, and, and the one thing that, you know, really inspires us is, you know, we don't always know, uh, how often we actually bring inspiration to others. Mm-hmm. And just hearing this is, you know, really helps us, uh, want to keep doing this and, uh, for a long time to come. Yeah, it's kind of a miracle, really. Yeah. Go ahead, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. So if you want to get mentioned on the show, like Depaika, uh, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com, comment on Facebook, YouTube, Stitcher, or even the channel line comments. We especially like those five-star iTunes reviews. Perfect. Okay. Let's jump into the news. So lots of good stuff going on right now. Even though we recorded an episode fairly recently, lots of good stuff. So new features in C sharp 7.0. So is this the first question I have is this, uh, is this out? This yet? is what, okay. This is what made it. Perfect. So Mads Torgerson, we had him on the show, uh, almost a year ago, I mm-hmm. think was talking about, Hey, what's coming up. And he, we talked about a lot of these things, but now that these are finalized and in their final form, some of them just changed slightly. Um, and if you want to see exactly what all of these are, go check out the show notes. We'll have a link to this. Uh, it'll have it, but I was reading through this and they give a lot, a lot of good code examples with these. And uh, some of them even had some great use cases to use some of these new, uh, programming, uh, items in there that I had never even thought of, Mm -hmm. uh, especially for like tuples. So, you know, the new way to do tuples you know, has a lot of different ways that you can use it. Mm-hmm. And one of the really interesting things that they brought up is you can use that a tuple, essentially, you know, multiple different um, return value. pieces of information yeah. as, as a key in a dictionary. Oh, okay. And I was like, wow, that, that's actually a really good use. Wow. That's crazy. But you can do it for, uh, for return values as well. Um, literal yep. tuples as a return value. You know, it was funny. I, I remember back when, uh, when I was in college, like learning programming languages and I think it was, uh, I think it was Java or C plus plus we were learning. And it was like, you, there's this whole concept of, I can pass multiple values into a function, but I can only return one. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. 
And uh, so it only took uh, what, like two decades, and now now we can have multiple return return values in there. Obviously, you could you know shove them in a class or a struct or something like that. But um, this is kind of cool. I this really draws me back in. I'm just looking through this list. First of all, it makes me realize that I'm I'm just I'm a little rusty on on C sharp. But uh, I've been doing you know a lot of JavaScript, TypeScript, that type of thing, and this kind of draws me back in because there's there's so many like super handy things in here. I mean, they're really taking a hard look at you know, what extra code, um, is people, are people writing and like, how do we get rid of that? Um, so it's just I mean, there's a few other really cool things too, like on out variables, if you have to supply a parameter that you don't care about, you could just give it this junk underscore and like not worry about it. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's pretty cool. Well, and then just even be able to declare your variable in line with getting the out variable. Um, like that's going to save people so much time. I mean, I don't know how much people are using out variables, but again, like it, it's just one of those things where this, this just makes your life a lot simpler mm-hmm. whenever you're doing it. You don't have to sit there and keep duplicating your code. Yeah, that's true. Or being able to put, or being able to put uh, like underscores in the middle of literal yeah. like digits and stuff like that as kind of like a separator. So if you want to make it more readable, um, you can't really put a comma in there, but you can put these underscores in there and then it'll break it up. So you're, it's easier for you to see. Yeah. And that's not just for like decimal numbers. You can do that for hex and binary numbers as well. What's interesting about that. They just ignore it. I mean, they just, they literally just ignore those in there. Um, so you can mm-hmm. kind of use them however you want. Um, there's also local functions, which is pretty cool. I mean, not, not quite on par yet with, with JavaScript where we can, you know, basically have function pointers, but, uh, but this is still pretty cool being able to declare, um, a function in your function, you know, like a simple function and then, uh, and then call it right from there. And then it's scoped to, uh, to that function. So just, um, just giving you a little bit more safety and simplicity and your a little bit clearer intent on your code. Um, any other ones you wanted to call out of here? Otherwise, uh, I just, I guess I'll just direct people to the uh, article in our show notes, but I think that's good. Okay. But lots of, lots of good stuff in there. Great stuff. I mean, it's, really, it's really great what they're doing. Tuples is also yeah. my favorite. I think the return value of tuples yeah. is really great. Yeah. Yeah. They have such a great example out there where, I mean, there's just almost no code and just being able to return those things, mm. uh, without really declaring anything, um, is, is just incredible. So staying on the topic of C sharp, um, AWS Lambda now has support for C sharp, which is, which is great to see. Uh, we want C sharp everywhere, right? Yeah. So the, the two largest cloud providers, which I think is something like 80 to 90% of all cloud coverage mm-hmm. now supports C sharp, uh, in their essentially serverless um, offerings. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things to note really cool. here. Uh, the first one being that they're using .NET core. That's how they're doing this. Um, I think they're running on Linux. I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but I think they're running on Linux. Uh, but what's neat about this is, you know, I wasn't sure if they were going to like kind of put out like a half-assed implementation of this, but if you look at it, I mean, right off the, right off the bat, I mean, there's projects for, for visual studio. So it's a first class citizen of visual studio. So you can do file new project and you yep. get it, the, the basics right there. Exactly. And then they do have the, the command line stuff, just like you get with, uh, with Azure functions, um, which I've actually found to be super useful because I actually develop my functions in VS code. And then I use the command line tools to, uh, um, to run those locally. And then I, you know, then once it's all done, I actually just put in a GitHub and then they get deployed for me. Um, so I think it's a, I think it's a pretty solid implementation. Um, so it's kind of neat. Um, one thing I haven't looked at, um, I'd love to compare these kind of side by side and see, um, uh, how close it is with the Azure Functions implementation. I mean, at, at at first glance, it looks really similar. So I'm wondering too, like you know, how easy it would be to take your code and and essentially push it to to both services. 
Yeah, I think that the one big drawback, though, is it's using .NET Core 1.0. And I I think that one is uh, pretty restricted uh, on the number of APIs that it does have compared to the the later versions. So it'll be interesting to see how quickly they um, bring support for the more current versions of .NET Core. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, yeah, this one. So, so I was on Bing the other day. So I actually, you, I use Bing as my, uh, as my search engine. And if you don't believe me, my number, let's see, what's my number of Bing points. I have 128,871 Bing points. You need to cash those out. I've actually cashed some out. So I've actually earned more than that, uh, which is crazy. So I, I use Bing a lot. So, so anyway, the, the, the thing that I, (laughs) I'm going to say I hate it, but it's, you'll, you'll kind of understand why I always open up Bing and they give you like these top news stories at the bottom and it's totally link bait. And I totally don't switch it because it just always sucks me in. They always get you with some kind of headline. But this one caught my eye because it said the Azure window collapses. <laughs> and I was like, what, what, what happened? Um, did we have an outage? Yeah, I- like, you know, did like a data center explode? Um, and it was a confusing picture, but apparently there's a ge- geological structure called the Azure window. <laughs> And, and, and the version of the title that I saw was like Europe, your Europe's Azure window collapses. And I was like, what is Azure down in all of Europe or something? You know, cause we had the AWS outage a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wow, this is, this would be pretty huge if the clouds are going down left and right. But no, this was this rock structure yeah. that collapsed into the sea. So yeah. not necessarily tech related, but yeah. wow. Don't, don't, that, don't panic. Draw, <laughs> it drew quite a few people in, including us. Well, and the thing is like, you know, uh, you know, it's not windows Azure anymore, right? It's, it's just, it's Microsoft Azure. Um, and, and luckily window was like after Azure. So I didn't panic too much, but, uh, uh, I'm just like, how, do, how does our data center collapse into the sea? But uh, so don't, don't panic. Uh, gender of the, of the uh, windows insider ninja cat. So, so you should probably give us, give the backstory on this, Carl, because yeah. we so met the, Casey Lemson. Yeah. So Casey Lemson is a longtime Microsoft employee mm-hmm. and she was the one who uh, came up with the, Windows Insider Ninja Cat. Mm-hmm. And uh, she came up with the design and kind of got it going within the the local teams at Microsoft. And it just kind of blew out of control. And it's pretty much, if you're a Windows Insider, you have to have the Ninja Cat somewhere. And uh, she just recently announced um, that for anybody who's uh, a fan of the Ninja Cat, um, our feline friend is a she. Yep. Just so you know. Yep. So she is the author. Uh, authoritative source on, on the gender of the, the Ninja cat. So, so now, you know, yeah, we, uh, she was just awesome. We, she had came to the, the MS dev show meetup and we talked to her for, uh, for quite some time. I think we'll have to get her uh, on the show at some point. That would be pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, password rules are bunk. <laughs> Wait a second. Like your title doesn't match the original title, Carl. No, I, I wanted to keep this They're a little bit bunk. more PC friendly. <laughs> um, uh, Jeff Atwood from uh, Coding Horror uh, put out another blo- blog post. Uh, actually, it was this morning as we're recording. It says, password rules are bunk, or another word for that, are terrible. And he kind of goes on to like, you know, if you look at all these websites that say, oh, your password needs to be, you know, at least this long and you have to have this character and that character. Mm-hmm. You know, they really don't take in consideration the most important things, which has been known for a while to be sheer length. And a lot of times that even when you look at uh, what we do use for complexity requirements, they're very ASCII centric. Mm-hmm. 
they don't consider things like, um, you know, Asian character sets or even Unicode, um, which Unicode kind of, once you get up, up there, Unicode, uh, a single character will report a length of two. Well, all, some so, of them will, not all of them. That's yeah, the crazy. I said, once you, once you, once you get oh, up to a certain yeah, point. Yeah. So like the, the first, I don't know, X number of characters, they, they're yeah. one, but then after yeah, that. Smiley face through poo. No, <laughs> <laughs> poo is two. <laughs> yeah. Poo is two. I do know that. Poo is two. That's easy to remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's my take on this. And I probably talked about some of these things on the show. Like, first of all, whenever, whenever you are, are super prescriptive about what, uh, the password needs to look like, you know, it has to be this many characters, especially the sites that say like your password has to be under 10 characters. That drives me batty. Um, uh, but the, the more rules you put on it, uh, the less things you have to, uh, check whenever you're trying to crack a password, <laughs> um, yep. there's le- less possibilities there. And the other thing is if, if you force a user to make it above a certain complexity, um, in the corporate world, then they will write it on a post-it note, thus, you know, lowering your security, at least in, in person. Um, so, I mean, just, I, I just can't believe how many things are backwards on this. And then Troy Hunt, I know has, uh, talked a few times about, um, sites that don't let you paste in a password. And it's like, what is that all about? I actually, I was on a site recently and I had to enter, I think it was one of my credit card sites and I had to enter, um, you know, my routing number and the uh, account number. So I go to my, my bank site and of course they give it to you. It's readily available. I double click on it, copy it. I jump back over and they will not let me paste it in. So it's like, they, they want me to type it in, which is subject to human error. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, I don't know what these, these companies, I, I guess there's like legacy reasons why they do this, but, um, you know, have, have, have long passwords that have a reasonable amount of complexity and, uh, uh, the other good point that he made too is, um, t- you know, there's databases of common passwords. See if you, you know, mm-hmm. make sure, make sure you, well, if you followed my advice, your password should not be in there. If it is, then I think you just need to completely reevaluate your strategy for coming up with a password. Uh, if it is in that list, because, uh, you're thinking just like everybody else. So it's a good, uh, it's a good read. Um, I think it's just, you know, a continuation yeah, of this, this, yeah, old debate. I think one thing that he didn't cover though, is, uh, forcing users to reset their passwords after time. I know recently Microsoft uh, came out with some guidance saying that if you're doing that on a regular basis, Mm -hmm. that you should at the very minimum lengthen that time. And I know where I work, they changed it from a few months to a year. So you can keep the same password for a year, considering that you keep it long enough. Yeah. And we did have to, we did have to make longer passwords. Yep. That was an argument I had with the Sarbanes-Oxley auditor. Uh, yep. I remember yeah. that. I was there. <laughs> it's just like, you know, you need to change your passwords all the time. Uh, it's like, well, then people are going to write them down and it will weaken our security. Oh yeah, I agree. But you know, too bad. Like <laughs> the, the regulation never, never keeps up with reality. Um, and then our last story here, Microsoft windows server on arm. So before you get too excited, I think you should get excited, but before you get too excited, um, so Microsoft is not releasing windows server on arm, <laughs> uh, which is what the title made it sound like. But what they are doing is using windows server on arm within the data center, because the reality is a lot of these workloads, um, you know, they don't, it doesn't matter what the, what the architecture is. Right. I mean, especially in the software as a service world. So if you have, I'll just name a random service. If you have something like event hubs, which we've talked about a lot before, if you have something like that service, like you don't care what type of processors are running that. So if you can, uh, dual source those chips or run it on something like arm where it's, you know, more power efficient, um, less heat generated and potentially fit more cores into a smaller area, 
then uh, I think interesting things start to happen. And I don't have any math on that, but that's my my general understanding about what ends up happening. Do you have any thoughts on this, Carl? Um, I, I personally don't have a lot of thoughts, but I've seen a lot of articles uh, about this. And I think one of the interesting things t- um, that some of these uh, pundits are coming up with is that one of the you know motivations for Microsoft on doing this might just be to get Intel to... Uh, scare them a little bit so that they come up with better, faster, cheaper, more power efficient chips of their own. Yeah. So I think that's kind of an interesting spin on that too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Intel is just getting killed in this space. I mean, ARM is just like, is just running circles around them. Uh, It's like, when are we going to have a chip from Intel that could actually power a mobile device and get the same battery life? Um, And uh, yeah. But, but in all other areas, desktop and server, Mm -hmm. it's still Intel's game. Yeah. So well, <laughs> it kind of looks like that's shifting though. Uh, Cause the reality is like, you know, like my, the, the iPhone seven is incredibly powerful. I mean, it's beating computers in JavaScript performance from just a couple years ago. So it's like Intel isn't lowering the power usage and the efficiency, uh, but arm is, is getting more powerful. So, you know, that gap between them arm is the one that's, that's inching over into Intel's territory, not mm-hmm. vice versa. Um, and it's great. I want to see an overlap there, but I want to see both companies do that. I want to see arm get faster, or sorry, get, uh, yeah, I want to see them get, 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 uh, faster. And then I want to see Intel get more efficient and I want, I want there to be lots of overlap so that there is healthy competition. So this is good. This is good for everybody. I mean, that's the way I look at it. Um, I guess, I guess not Intel, but, um, it, it will be in the long term for them. It'll, it, they've, they've proven in the past that they just need a little motivation and then they do really cool stuff. So, okay, well let's, uh, let's move on. Uh, cause we want to talk to Thomas cause he's got, um, a really cool project here. And when Carl first reached out to me about this, I was completely confused uh, because it's Visual Studio Shell with UWP. And I'm like, what? What? I, I don't get it at all. <laughs> so finally, I read your blog post and, and this all makes a lot more sense here. So we'll have a link to that blog post in the show notes. But I guess let's, let's just start talking about it now. Like, can explain to us what you made? Okay, so it all started. I was in preparation for a talk for a conference and uh, the talk was about line of business applications with UWP. And so I thought, what should I build as a demonstration and what is the typical business application that we have built in the past for enterprise customers? And so when I look at it, we typically have a main menu, we have a navigation on the left, we have a content area that is quite often a tapped user interface with a tap control. And then I looked at Visual Studio and I said, actually, most of the applications we have built are exactly like the Visual Studio shell. Let's try just to build this. And you know, if you start in the evening, Friday evening coding, this I got this flow, you know, that I looked at, <laughs> at the clock and I saw oh, it's already 1 a.m. And uh, yeah. the kids don't ask me when I went to bed. So, but I continued a bit and, <laughs> and I continued on Saturday and I wanted, I got really interested to see how far I can get with this. And um, then I got comments on that blog post. I described a bit what was missing and what didn't work so well. And I got some comments that said, wow, it's really impressive what you can do already with UWP. And some people were were saying, yeah, you missed the point. UWP is not meant for a desktop application. It's pretty much like command line and user interface. And now you have user interface and the modern UI. But I don't think so. They said I should use WPF for this kind of application and not UWP. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's interesting so they're they're like you're using it wrong yeah I, what yeah exactly <laughs> I, I thought about this as well and and i 
I used this whole information for, for my session at the conference. And, yeah, that's great. And I researched a bit where it might come from. And I think it comes from the introduction of Windows 8, because at that point, maybe you remember this chart where were the Windows Store apps on the left side and the classic desktop apps on the right side. So from that point of view, this is what the people still have in their brains. They think about this picture. So we have the UWP apps for the modern design and WPF and WinForms for the classic desktop application. Mm. But actually, all the innovation happens in UWP. So I think it's quite impressive what is already possible with this technology. Yeah. This would have been heresy and, back in the Windows 8 days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think one of the things that also reinforces it too is if you look at some of the big, um, you know, Microsoft reporters like Paul Thorat, he's constantly saying that UWP can't do this or UWP apps suck or whatever. I'm, you know, I look at that and I think he just fails to remember how many, you know, WinForms and WPF apps out there are, are, you know, poorly designed and, and kind of look cruddy and, you know, mm -hmm. maybe have some of those other things too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is violating NDA. I know Thomas is a Microsoft MVP in, in my same group, but we've been told time and time again that, um, you know, UWP is, is what Microsoft is looking for for the future of uh, Windows development. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So while there are these other technologies, uh, I mean, you can't have UWP isn't going to be, you know, feature compatible on day one, but you should be able to get your job done in it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's just like Windows, Windows Forms is still around. Uh, WPF is still around. VB6 applications still work on Windows 10. Um, you know, Microsoft has this habit of of supporting things probably even longer than what they should, longer than certainly any other company that that exists out there. Um, and, 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 you know, even the, the past couple of technologies, I would say the support is great. I mean, even with the latest version of, of Visual Studio, if you want to do WPF, I mean, I, I am actually working with people that are creating new WPF applications. Um, so, you know, that's a frequent conversation that uh, mm -hmm. that I have. So I just I want to make sure that, that, that you know, that people understand that as well is that both are completely viable. Um, but I think you're you, you doing this in, in, uh, in UWP proves such a great point, though. Yeah, for me, but for me, it's the same. I do most of my daily work is WPF because I work mm -hmm. for enterprises. They are still on Windows 7 and it might take one, two or three years until they switch to Windows 10. Windows 7 is supported till 2020, I guess. I'm not quite sure, but I think that's the date. So at that point, they will switch. And before, I can't use UWP to build the line of business applications. But these people are already questioning, what should we do? Should we use WPF or should we use another modern web framework like Angular or React to build the next internal application? But it actually doesn't matter for a desktop application if it is a native technology or a web application because you know exactly the clients to which you are distributing your application, right? Yeah. But what I've <clears throat> so what I've tried then, I wanted to show what is possible with UWP and show great stuff like, for example, the compiled data bindings that we don't have in WPF up to now. And if you use these compiled data bindings, you get IntelliSense, you get go-to-definition support, a lot of tooling in the SAML editor that you don't have in WPF, for example. And people actually, mm -hmm. they really like this feature. 
That's such a great point. Um, so how hard was this to do? I mean, um, for you, obviously, it was super easy. But what about for for mortals that uh, that are not MVPs in modern app development? No, you know, people always think, yeah, MVP, a guru. I'm just a normal developer from what did you sing around the block? Yeah, I'm Jenny around the block. I'm Thomas around the block. And, <laughs> and, and so actually, it's always everyone is baking with bread and butter, you know, and it's there is nothing special, but it did. I, of course, I, I have the knowledge from WPF to build this thing. And there were mm -hmm. some very hard points. The first was the menu. I noticed there is no classic menu around in UWP. There is only a menu flyout, something like a context menu, but no classic menu. So I started to build a horizontal stack panel that allows me to stack elements together horizontally. And I just stacked plain buttons in the stack panel. And on each button, I created such a menu flyout that drops down. But this works. It looks good in the screenshots on the block. But if you download the app, you notice that there is no connection <laughs> between the main menu items. When you look, for example, at Visual Studio and you open up one main menu item and you hover over another, that opened up, opens up automatically. But this doesn't work in my application because there is no connection between the several menu items. And then there were other parts, no icons for menu items. This comes now with the creator's update and um, no shortcuts. I've seen there is an access key manager class around in UWP, but I was not able to figure out how to use this in these eight hours that I have invested to build this application. Yeah. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit www.aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial. And if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. Remember, if you're a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.Words for .NET, a powerful toolkit to work with Word documents in your applications. Yeah, so one of the things you said at the very beginning that I thought was kind of inspiring is that you, your knowledge of WPF and XAML in general was enough to carry over and transition to UWP. So, you know, my kind of takeaway is if you haven't really looked at UWP, um, it really isn't, while it is a brand new technology in, in a certain aspect, it's really reusing the same concepts as uh, previous Microsoft technologies. So it is very approachable. Absolutely, yeah. And I think today for an enterprise, when they start a new desktop application, a line of business application where they need features like validation or a tree view or a built-in data grid that does not exist in UWP, WPF is the best way to go now when they still have, for example, Windows 7 and not Windows 10. And then the migration will be pretty smooth, I think, because you're using SAML and C Sharp and it's pretty much the same. So Personally, I feel at home when I do UWP. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, it, it also sounds like you were able to really kind of look, take some of these things that were missing and make up for it. Yeah. Because uh, mm. I know that you said that there was, there was a tree view that isn't in the native tools, 
But Microsoft is sponsoring an open source project that actually has a tree view. Exactly, yes. They have an open source project in the official samples, and so I just reused that one. It looked a bit odd in the first time because the tree view items, they are very high because they are made for touch. And so I needed to find out how to adjust the style for these items to make it look like a, a desktop application. And But it was not too hard to figure this out. So if you are familiar with SAML, you, you will find these things where you can hook in. So you mentioned a few of the things that were missing. Was there anything you know else that was kind of missing? And you know how, how did you go about filling the gaps on those? Yeah, so I used this review, the menu I built on my own. I had the feeling I need a, a toolbar. So there was also nothing for a toolbar or something like a ribbon. Um, there are great third-party vendors out there that build already tools like this, but I would expect such main things in a framework. We have it also in WPF. So when people evaluate UWP for a new app and they see we have a ribbon, a data grid, a tree view, and all that stuff natively in WPF. And of course, for enterprises, validation is also important. And that doesn't exist in UWP, then they might consider WPF for their new application. And I've seen more things, tab control, tree view. The layout transform was another thing that I, that I missed in UWP to build the 90 degree rotated buttons on the left and right side to open up the solution explorer and stuff like this in the sh in the shell and then i thought even a bit further how to build this how to build a real visual studio application with uwp and i noticed i'm not able to access my database because i don't have any sql client available in this platform i need to go through a web api or some service layer to be able to access to access sql server or any other database and this is also a thing that many people are still doing, even if our, our architectures like we pray them have always a three layer with a service layer inside. But inside of enterprises, people are still doing a lot of classic. Yeah, I never, even, I never even thought of that. Are you sure there's not a SQL client? We are sure because okay. uh, another Microsoft MVP, Ginny Key, <clears throat> who's been on the show before, she is really championing this uh, SQL client getting included. Um, okay. Now that the uh, the team has opened up their backlog and bug uh, backlog onto the web, mm -hmm. um, it has been added and it is under consideration mm -hmm. for this. But yeah, it is something that has been missing and it's been taking quite a few people to really bring this to the attention of Microsoft, but they are listening, Yeah, which is really cool. I mean, I, I sort of, I sort I, I get, I get how we got here. It, it sort of makes sense, you know, because if you download, you know, a news application, right? Like you, you don't want that thing connecting the SQL server, obviously, but, but like you mentioned, there are perfectly legitimate situations in an enterprise where you just want the app to talk to SQL server, uh, just to make or your, if you're like, creating easier. a visual studio shell. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Anyway, um, were there were there parts of the of the current shell uh that you didn't try to replicate? I mean, obviously it's not full Visual Studio. Um, it's more of just, you know, it is just the shell. But is there are there any features that you just, you know, you just didn't try to implement? Yeah, you know, I tried just to build the layout and to see that I have a pinnable solution explorer and so on, but then of yeah. course I stopped. I have also a live visual tree explorer that <laughs> that shows the application itself. But then I don't have notifications, diagnostic tools, and for sure no mm -hmm. compilation. So it's just the layout to see how you can structure the things. Because behind the scenes, you have C-sharp, and in C-sharp, you can do 
nearly anything except talking to SQL Server, but anything else and to build this application like you need it. Yeah. But to SQL Client, I want to mention one thing. You can use Entity Framework to, call, to talk to a SQLite database that is just that you bring out with your application to store data locally, but you can't connect outside to a SQL Server or Oracle database or whatever. Mm-hmm. So did you make this uh, code available for us to check it out if we're so inclined? Sorry, I didn't get this. Uh, have you made the uh, code available for people to check out if they want to see what you've yes, done? Yes, for sure. The code is available on GitHub. So I have provided it there. So everyone who is interested can download it. I got feedback that Visual Studio 2017 might be required to compile it. Um, I haven't checked if it works with 2015, but just a hint. Today, I've also st- <laughs> continued as uh, Clint Trudkas from Microsoft. He has commented on a user voice entry about the tab control because I said... We need a classic tab control to build such an application. Currently, UWP has only a pivot. And um, the pivot looked to me, yeah, this is not the right control. And I made an entry on user voice. And he came back to me on user voice and he said, yeah, what, what is actually missing on the pivot? And do we have a great example on a data-bound pivot that looks like a tab control? And uh, I thought, yeah, I don't have a great example and I can't answer this question accurately what is actually missing and so i decided to build also a little sample and i posted this today on my blog and i created a small prototype of a classic mvvm application like it is done today with dependency injection an event aggregator and a tapped user interface with uwp that you can also download from my github account and i okay very cool yeah we'll have a link in our show notes to your to your github page okay cool I was also, when doing this, I was quite impressed how far I could get by using UWP. So I think for me, I'm not in a rush because my customers might take one or two years before they switch. So, But I think at that point, it will be ready. And I look forward to use these technologies to build great applications. Yeah. yeah. It's super, it's super impressive. I mean, it just shows the maturity of it, um, uh, where it is right now. So, um, I'm just kind of curious. I don't know if you've ever seen, there is, um, something known as the visual studio shell today and actually like management studio uses it, right. So that it looks kind of like visual studio. Um, and, and actually third parties can, can use the visual studio shell to build their own applications. Um, so do you think that somebody could use this kind of as a start to use as a legitimate alternative to the visual studio shell that's available today? Yeah, maybe you can use it, but you know, to build, yeah. for example, a SQL Server Management Studio, you have the problem of, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, of, <laughs> yeah. of the SQL client, but but you could use it yeah. as a start. But I just invested time. It's kind of a prototype, so I haven't structured the controls really, really well. So nearly everything is in my main page to build this whole application. But I think if you invest a bit of time, you'll get the layout and you see how you can actually do things like these floating windows that fly in from the left or right by Mm -hmm. putting layers over each other with grids and stacking it together, yeah. Yeah, because I work with a lot of big software companies that their software is... um Similar in in sort of the the amount of functionality the the functionality density of of something like Visual Studio, um, so a lot of them look at Visual Studio as as an example, and and some of them evaluate using that as as an actual shell. Mm-hmm. And I think this is great because I can say 
Um, you know, cause I, you know, I can say, Hey, UWP is also viable. Take a look at this. Somebody did this in eight hours and it's just a taste of what you can do. And you could start with this or you could, you know, build your own. And it's, it's actually, you, you sort of just proven that the whole thing is, is feasible at that point. Yeah. So it's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. But I still need to mention, of course, the visual studios shell, one of the features it has, it has this floating windows, you know, you can pin the stuff mm. wherever you want. I don't have this yet in my application. Yeah. I can just unpin the Solution <laughs> Explorer and that's it. And I can pin it at the same yeah. place. So it's much more powerful than uh, another eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. Another eight hours this weekend. Uh, maybe, that'll be maybe, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Let's see. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So kind of bringing it back around to, you know, the comment that I brought up before about how some journalists and tech writers don't really feel that UWP is, you know, viable for making real apps. What, what are your takeaways on the current state of UWP for kind of quote real development? Okay. Yeah. The question is we need to define real development. Okay. For, for my customers, real development means you have a desktop application that has a lot of fields on the screen, you know, and then the, the UX designer mm -hmm. says, yeah, you shouldn't do this. You need multiple pages. But the users say, we want this. And I call this application expert ex applications because the people know actually how to fill these 40 text box fields on one screen. And um, my takeaway is that UWP <clears throat> goes into the correct direction to build this application. I think it's not completely ready today because... There is, for example, input validation is one important thing we need in every application so that we can display the error messages and all the stuff. You can still do this in your view model by creating error properties and that you bind with pool to visibility converter in the UI to display the errors. So you can do the manual approach. This will work, but it will be a pain for the people who shift from WPF and to have already all that stuff for these kind of applications to build it on their own. So that's why they will stay in WPF till today. But I think it's just a matter of time and I'm pretty sure input validation that we get something like this because I can't imagine if Microsoft takes it serious to bring UWP to enterprises, this will just be a matter of time until we get some feature like this in the framework or in the platform. Yep, yep. Um, anything else you wanted to mention or uh, anything else that you're working on that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I'm... I'm working on a WPF project, yeah, like the people you know. So a big WPF <laughs> project for some a company that I'm not allowed to mention in Switzerland. And yeah, uh, yeah and WPF is still great. But the important thing that Carl has said, I think, if you invest today in WPF, there is nothing wrong. Also not with Windows Forms or a, another technology. But I think mm -hmm. if you keep in mind that you want to migrate to UWP in the future, WPF might be the best bet today because you have the SAML and C-Sharp experience. Your developers will have the know-how to build the applications of the future. Absolutely. No, oh, that's a great point. Great point. Okay, let's move on. So Carl, what is our app of the week? Is it relevant to our conversation? Yes. Yeah, so it's not only relevant to the conversation, but this week, uh, Visual Studio 2017 was announced. Mm -hmm. um, this week as of the time that, of recording. Of recording, yes. Um, one of the really cool things about uh, new Visual Studio 2017 is the installer. So if you kind of, you know, 
just double click whatever you download, it brings up this interface that allows you to kind of check your workloads. So if you're, you're a web developer, you click web developer, that's the only thing that it'll install other than its shell. So it'll bring the tools necessary for that. But you can also click like UWP or um, all the different stuff to make mobile apps. I mean, there's tons of choices, but it kind of groups them very smartly and only installs what you need to. Yep. And depending upon what you select, you can actually be done installing and in a much, much shorter time than it used yeah, to take. I mean, minutes. it used to, uh, you know, if you do select everything, it will still take that hour plus like it did. But I mean, to be honest, you're downloading, I think just Xamarin alone is like 20 some gigs yeah. with the emulators and stuff that they bring. So uh, there's a chance for it to install really quickly. You get all the latest features. You get the C-sharp 7 is there by default. Um, so there's a lot of uh, a new coolness and there is the community edition. And uh, one thing that I'd like to remind people of with the community edition is if you're an independent developer or your shop is five people or less, you can get that and use that and still charge people for your applications. Mm -hmm. You only have to pay for enterprise if you are an enterprise. And I always, I, you know, I can never remember like what you even lose on that. There, there's actually been a couple of times that I've installed the community edition just to see like how painful it was. And, uh, you know, for the basic stuff that I do, it actually had everything I needed. Like I never, you know, sat there like, oh man, it's missing this key thing I need. Um, so it's actually pretty impressive what you get in that, that base install. Um, I think it's more, I don't know maybe some of the, like live unit testing and some of the new features in there are on the higher end editions. Uh, so actually next week we are recording with Amanda Silver talking about Visual Studio 2017 and what's new in there. So I'm sure that'll be one of the questions that we have is uh, the, some of the differences in the editions, but we'll have a uh, in-depth discussion as to what's new there. So I'm really excited about that. And what do we have for the dev tip of the week? The dev tip of the week is related to the app of the week. <laughs> it is the productivity power tools for Visual Studio 2017. Um, this is kind of a, you know, an extension for Visual Studio that I have traditionally just gotten no matter what. So when the new version comes out, I look for the productivity power tools. There's always really cool things in there. Um, so check out the feature list. I, I think they have like 17 high level features that you get. And there's tons of other small ones that are in there as well. So uh, check it out. And that might be something you want to add to your brand new uh, VS 2017 install. Very cool. So Thomas, we play a game on the show. What I need you to do, I need you to pick a number between one and four and inclusive and let me know what number you pick. Three. Three. Okay. Here we go. Would you rather be at a baseball game and try to catch a foul ball with a soup can or try and catch a foul ball with a shirt sleeve? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think with a shirt sleeve. Well, shirt sleeve makes sense, but uh, I will tell you this. I mean, if you're out at a baseball game, it's probably like a warm day, right? You might be wearing short sleeves, so I would just, I would factor that in. <laughs> but the but I, I, I don't know about European soup cans, but you know, I know the kind of soup cans we get here. Yeah, and they would they're not, not work. They're not, they're not big enough for a baseball to fit in. Yeah, you need a family size. Oh, okay. Yeah. So pick a pick a number, Carl. I'll take number one. Number one. Would you rather be a vampire or a werewolf? Vampire or a werewolf? Uh, I mean, vampires have a lot of weaknesses, but you're effectively immortal if you're careful. So what I, they I are were that. yeah, because werewolves, I guess, aren't immortal, right? Nah, you just turn into a wolf and you can't control yourself when you're. A wolf. <laughs> so that, that that sounds kind of weak. That sounds like the weekend for me. Um. So you're picking vampire. <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> I am picking vampire as well. Um, actually, vamp that would be pretty cool being a vampire. I guess I, what's what's the big downside about other than your weaknesses? I mean, you gotta 
you got to like drink blood, I guess. Right. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. But, but depending, up, but depending upon like the specific lore you're going to, like some of those books that you read, like you, you just visit a blood bank. So if you want to be like a, you know, you know, you know, yeah. somebody who doesn't kill <laughs> yeah. people, and you, like a, like a, I mean, veg- you, like a vegetarian and you need vampire. To, and you, you need to get used to visual studio dark theme if you haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I'd hate to get burned by the light version. <laughs> Oh, wow. And we've jumped the shark. So uh, <laughs> moving on. So Thomas, where can people find you? Well, people can find me on my blog yep. or do you mean in the internet? Sure. Or blog, Twitter, blog, yeah, Twitter GitHub, LinkedIn, Facebook. <laughs> so what's your, we'll what's have your Twitter account? Thomas Claudius H. Okay. It was the yeah. We'll have that. In. It was the maximum number of characters. Oh, <laughs> yes. I didn't even know there was. I didn't a realize that yeah. there was one. Fifty <laughs> is the limit. It just you get to the end, you're like, well, I guess that's my Twitter handle. <laughs> uh, so we'll have we'll have that. Plus, we'll have your uh, your website in our show notes. And then you know, I, I mentioned it in your intro, but you are also a plural site author, which is a big deal. That's why you have the the nice microphone for the people that are watching video, and I guess for the people that are listening, they can hear that you have a good microphone, but. Um, yeah, definitely check out his plural site videos as well. Um, cause that, that obviously helps him financially. So, <laughs> um, definitely go check that out. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And you can find me at ytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie. So Thomas, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about this uh, really cool project that you just uh, you just decided to do and, and you made it happen, man. Thanks for having me, Jason and Carl. 